Haggai chapter 2, something seems to be inserted here that almost doesn't belong in the momentum and the flow of everything else that's happening in this in this small uh, prophecy. But in Haggai chapter 2 and verse 10, Haggai is instructed to declare to the people, well, in verse 11, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, So here we go. The Lord is saying, Ask the priest this question about the law of God. So this is a, you know, he's, he's, he's quizzing them on the law here. If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, shall it be holy? So to clarify, the question is, if, if one is holding something that is holy, and then he touch something else, does it make that thing holy? And the priest answered and said, no. And that's the correct answer. It doesn't. Verse 13, then said Haggai, if one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. This is very interesting to me because um, it basically is a, it's giving very clear instruction to us that that which is unclean is contagious. It can be transmitted. It can defile. But that which is holy does not do that. Um, does not have the same traveling characteristic as that which is unclean does. And so with that information, with that knowledge, verse 14, then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. And I'd like to just stop there. But the point of this passage, and the reason why it seems so strange to me, is because all of a sudden in this momentum of building the house, we're stopped in our tracks to talk about something that doesn't seem to be related in our carnal minds. It's talking about cleanness and uncleanness, you know, these Old Testament laws and holiness and unholiness. What's that got to do with anything at the moment? Well, the Lord is telling us that it has everything to do with it, actually. Because our minds don't understand that. But the Lord is telling us that man looks on the outward appearance. Yes, but the Lord looks on the heart. In other words, we can be doing something as religious and as holy as being in a prayer meeting. And this is the, the, the surface application to this for us. We can be going to church. We can be reading our Bibles. We can be in this united prayer, and we might feel somewhat good about ourselves. I hope we're not prideful, of course, but you know we might feel good about ourselves, and surely this must be acceptable to the Lord. But the Lord is basically saying, if there is uncleanness in our hearts, then no matter what we do, whatever we touch, the work of our hands, our prayers, our religious 
anything will be unclean. It will be unacceptable to God. That is the lesson that uh, the Old Testament laws teach us about cleanness and uncleanness. Uh, you know, one might wonder, what are all these laws about? It's, t- it's teaching us a lesson, and this is one of the applications of that. And I want to just draw our minds, and, and we've, we've heard this theme repeated, but there was, there was an individual a couple of days ago that prayed along these lines of our own personal holiness and the fact that we've been neglecting so much, perhaps, in our own lives, um, things that are in God's Word, but we've relegated that to uh, perhaps tradition or Old Testament or that doesn't apply anymore or that was that culture or whatever. And surely there is, there is a place for examining the Word uh, and seeing that there were some Old Testament laws that were, were there as pictures. There's no doubt about that. And um, we're not under that um, same um, system. And certainly the sacrifices, they were all pointing to the perfect sacrifice of Christ. So we understand that. But that does not mean that we completely cast out, especially when we come to the Ten Commandments. We don't, we don't see that as, well, that's Old Testament. There are commands in the, in the Ten Commandments, like keeping the Sabbath day. Uh, remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy, things of that nature, that we we would be very, I think, foolish to just immediately out of hand dismiss, just dismiss. And um, I just I just feel this this need for myself to come to the Word of God with as open a heart as as I possibly can, because holiness is important to the Lord. If there's anything that we um, are instructed by this passage. Holiness is important to the Lord. And I want us to not be blind to the fact that we can be praying and we can be going through this religious exercise. And if there is known sin in our heart, known sin, things that we know, this is something that we should be obeying the Lord regarding. And we willfully or consciously just decide not to. Uh, we, we have to understand that that is the most important thing to the Lord, this, 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 this heart holiness. The outward activity, the outward motions of praying, this is all empty to God without our heart being in the right place. And of course, the psalmist speaks of this uh, over and over again when he says that, um, who shall ascend? into the hill of the Lord, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart. And um, I'd like to read that Tozer quote that I mentioned in the email, if you hadn't already seen it, but um, I came across this quote, and I was thinking about this passage in Haggai, and it just dovetailed really nicely. Tozer says, We have come to our present low estate as the result of an almost fanatical emphasis on grace to the total exclusion of obedience self-discipline, patience, personal holiness, cross-carrying, discipleship, and other such precious doctrines of the New Testament. We have almost, the pendulum has, has almost swung so far. You know, we've come out, it's always, this, um, it's always this swinging of the pendulum, it seems, from one generation to the next. But it seems that now it's swung so far to this side on, on uh, 
such a strong emphasis on grace, which is important, almost to the exclusion of obedience and discipline and holiness and cross-carrying. That which was so wondrously precious to the Moravians and the Methodists and their immediate spiritual descendants has become cheap to a generation of Christians devoted to their own pursuits and engrossed in their own pleasures. Cheap grace. And we have to guard ourselves against that. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer states that cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace. Uh, That is really the thought that I wanted to leave with us all. But I also wanted to rehearse very briefly I came across the life of David Brainerd. Of course, we all know the name David Brainerd. But I heard his name mentioned in a sermon clip, and I was um, just curious. I looked him up, and if there was anybody, any any individual that exemplified this pursuit of holiness, it would have been this David Brainerd. He did not live a very long life. He died at the age of 29. And... Uh, It's a very interesting story, very interesting story, even just a summary read of his life. He entered Yale University. By the second year of Yale University, revival had broken out on the campus of Yale. You had people like George Whitfield who visited there. Isn't that wonderful? And he preached in such a stirring way that he really stirred up the campus and the student body. And then um, uh, one of the t- uh, tenant uh, men came there as well, and he did the same. Um, so much so that the students were so revived and stirred up that there began to be this disparity between the student body and the teachers and the faculty and you know the president even, where they were the the leadership in the school they were. Um, trying to put a, a little bit of a wet blanket on this revival that was breaking out among the students. And it was discouraging the students. And the students were starting to sort of push against it. And it, it came to a point where they have it in the Yale Constitution. You can look it up. They have it written in the Yale Constitution that if somebody says that their faculty or the president or, or any in leadership are hypocrites or are in some way, you know, um, dead in their Christianity or something like that, then they'll be expelled, right? It's written into the Constitution like that. Because there, there, there came this point where the, the students, the young people, were so on fire for God. They even brought in, the, the leadership even brought in Jonathan Edwards, you know, the, the stately, well-revered Jonathan Edwards, in hopes that he would be on their side, you know, to speak to the student body. Jonathan Edwards landed on the student side, it was amazing. But um, but anyway, David Brainerd was in this, uh, in this environment, second year at Yale. And he was kicked out. You know, he, he had a private conversation with another student saying that this particular teacher has as much grace as this chair. You know, something like that. <laughs> just uh, something like that along those lines. It was just... It was a private conversation, he said. Somebody heard it. 
reported it. And he said it was a private conversation. But uh, so he got kicked out. He later, um, I think, apologized for that. But he, he was not able to be reinstated. Uh, even though Jonathan Edwards and a, a bunch of others tried talk to talk to the leadership at Yale, they, they would not reinstate him. So he was he was kicked out. So so this poor David Brainerd was started out that way, and he had this fire in his heart. And throughout his journal, you read him having this desire to seek God and to be as holy as possible, pursue the holiness um, of God. And um, he, as you know, was a missionary to the Indians, the Native Americans here in America. And he had tremendous health problems. He would be coughing up blood constantly, spitting blood. And um, he was persistent, though. And he did not have a very long uh, life, but he persisted. In fact, it got so bad that people were telling him to come off the field all the time, but he wouldn't. But it got so bad that Jonathan Edwards himself took him into his home. I did not know this. Jonathan Edwards took him into his home the last few months of his life and took care of him. In fact, it was his daughter, uh, his daughter Jerusha, Jonathan Edwards' daughter Jerusha. Uh, She was 17. And she became his nurse. And she was taking care of him. Now, he had tuberculosis, which is a very contagious disease. In fact, it's airborne, you know, water droplets, sound familiar, all that, right? But it didn't stop them. And she she was by his side for months taking care of him. And I was just thinking, she was a young person. And comparing that to the young people of today, you know, just thinking, where is that sort of selflessness, that sort of um, just devotion? But uh, he eventually died in the home of Jonathan Edwards, and Jerusha herself died just a few months after that because she contracted something, and she was buried right next to David Brainerd. Jonathan Edwards conducted his funeral and the funeral of his 17-year-old daughter. It's just a wonderful, wonderful life. And, you know, he didn't live long, but his life had such an impact on others, like William Carey and John Newton and Wesley and Robert Murray McShane. They all point back to David Brainerd and his diary as this is a man who pursued Holiness. That's why I bring him up, because he pursued holiness. And it may have been, in some people's eyes, excessive. But the the impact that this man had for the kingdom of God, even though he only lived a few short years, because of his pursuit of the holiness of God, had such an impact. And so, it's important to God. And if we only understood just how Powerfully important this is. May God give us that same desire, at least, to pursue after holiness. Who knows what our lives will amount to for the kingdom of God. If we get the first things right, get the order right, the heart is first, and then the actions of the hands. Amen.